God designs us a certain way, and then he allows experiences to come into our life to shape us into who we are. And that is the impetus behind our podcast here, Ridgecrest Stories. I'm Lance Griffin. I'm the recreation minister here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And we started this podcast because we believe if you know our stories, then you'll have a good idea about the DNA of our church. Today, we're talking with Tim Willis. He is the minister of music at Ridgecrest, and we look forward to that conversation, Tim. How are you? Doing great, Lance. I'm looking forward to this conversation because there's there's so much that, that we can learn, I believe, from from these podcasts, and, and certainly with your uh, length of tenure here at Ridgecrest, I'm sure you have a lot of interesting things to talk about. How long have you been here? 39 years. 39 years, and I'm terrible at math, but that means you would have come here around 1981. How did you come? What was your, What's your story about how you got here? Well, Mike Gravett, who was pastor at First Baptist Church Florella uh, at the time, which was my old home church. After I graduated from college, it was my desire to uh, uh, go on to seminary. But that took a turn because my dad developed cancer my senior year in college. And it was a great desire of mine to be able to go back home and spend what time I could with him and my mom and everything. And I'd gotten married, Wanda and I, my wife, uh, had gotten married uh, my senior year. And uh, God opened the door for us to be able to go back home and created a job for us that had never, uh, there had never been a music teacher uh, as far as uh, in the Covington County school system, uh, there had been band programs, but no choral programs. And a lot of the rural schools there, small schools, uh, had no music program whatsoever. So I was in two high schools, four junior highs and four elementary schools teaching music education. But I also had the opportunity to do the junior varsity football and basketball programs at Florida High School. So uh, I had a great time doing that. But back with Mike Gravett, I got to know him uh, when I came back to Florella all during my college years. And when I graduated from high school, I started serving uh, in a church doing music and youth. And uh, the Lord just opened that door. But I knew at some point in time, God was going to allow me the opportunity to go full time. After four years of teaching school, though, Mike Gravett was called here to Ridgecrest Baptist Church as pastor, and Mike asked me to be praying about going full-time in ministry, and uh, so I did, and uh, I came to Ridgecrest, and I remember that first Sunday, I think they were around about 264 in Sunday school, and uh, I told Wanda, I said, that was the largest church, though, still that I had been a part of. and uh, at that time, and uh, I told Wanda, I said, I don't know. I started getting cold feet. But then God calmed me in my spirit, and the church called us, and so that's why we're here. How long before then had you made a profession of faith uh, to, to make Christ your Lord and Savior, and, and how did that come about? My dad led me to the Lord when I was nine years of age in our living room of our home. Uh, that Sunday morning in Sunday school, Mr. Sam Jackson, who uh, his son Al Jackson was a pastor up at Lakeview in Auburn, and uh, but Al was our mentor. He was in college and career, and he was older. Uh, he was my older brother's age, and so we all became good friends and everything. But uh, Al mentored us, kind of. We looked to him 
uh, as kind of the leader of our, our youth group and everything. And, uh, but my dad, uh, I was in the Sunday school class, like I said, with Al's dad, Mr. Sam Jackson. And Mr. Sam talked to my dad and told my dad that uh, God was dealing with me in Sunday school that day. And so when we got home uh, that Sunday around the lunch table, my dad said, Tim, I hope you don't have any plans for this afternoon because I need to spend some time with you. Well, I thought I'd gotten in trouble. <laughs> and so I started thinking about what all I had done. And uh, But anyway, we went into the living room and my dad shared with me the plan of salvation. And I remember kneeling and inviting Jesus Christ into my heart. And uh, I tell you, it, it changed everything. But later on, when I turned 13, uh, I was in a revival with uh, evangelist Tom Collins. And his son, Marshall, was a pastor over here at Calvary, I think, in Dothan for a number of years. But anyway, Marsh, uh, Tom was preaching that revival. And uh, he preached on the Great Commission. And uh, I really did not, um, there was something that just happened. God spoke, and I knew it was God speaking to me. And I went forward and uh, told the evangelist there that I did not know what it was that God was asking me to do. I didn't even know why I was there, but I just knew that God had spoken in my heart. So uh, I said, I just want to say, whatever it is that God wants me to do, I want to do that. And I was 13 years of age at that time. And so how long then from that time did you feel God was leading you to music? Did not know it. In fact, whenever I was called, felt my calling, like I said, at 13, I didn't know what it was God wanted me to do. I was surprised as anything that music became the vehicle that God chose for me. I played sports all through high school, enjoyed football, basketball, baseball. Uh, didn't really have a baseball team per se, but uh, I guess if we'd have had a hockey team, I'd have probably tried out for it. Wasn't really that great an athlete or anything, but just enjoyed sports. But around the 11th grade year, uh, band director Tom Maddox uh, saw me one night after we had really taken a licking in the football uh, against the team. And I was sitting on a uh, picnic bench there at the Tasty Freeze uh, there in Florella. And uh, he comes and sits down beside me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean what I'm not doing? And I said, I'm sitting here drinking a chocolate shake, trying to lick my wounds and all. He said, no, really, what are you doing? He said, why are you playing football? He said, come on, get in the band. Well, I said, get in the band, sure. I said, uh, what would I play? You know, whatever. He said, I'll hang a drum around your neck. Anybody can beat a drum, you know. Well, anyway, I got to thinking about that. And uh, spring of that year, I got in the band, the concert season and all, and uh, became, like I said, a uh, percussionist per se, auxiliary percussionist, and uh, enjoyed that time. But the toughest thing was to tell my dad I wasn't going to play football anymore and uh, to play sports. And uh, anyway, God had started moving me a little bit in that direction. But when I got out of high school, I immediately I went to Lurleen B. Wallace Junior College. And it was there that one morning I was sitting in the um, head of the Department of Music's office and a phone call. He got a phone call. And he answered the phone, and he said, yeah, yes, yes. I've got someone right here with me right now that'll be there Sunday. 
hangs up the phone and I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm the only one sitting in his office. And he says, you're going to be at Southside Baptist Church on Sunday morning. They need somebody to lead the music. And I said, what? I said, I don't have any experience. I don't know what to do. He said, I'll teach you all you need to know. So he worked with me. Jerry Pageant was his name. And he taught me how to uh, beat out music as far as uh, be able to lead it. Uh, doing correct meter four four three four six eight all of those things and uh but when i went to Southside that sunday i realized that uh, when i stood up there in the pulpit boy i thought i just messed up tremendously and uh had a nice choir trained choir they sang parts really well and I had a great piano accompanist but I had a lady that came down the aisle after the service was over with, and her name was Margaret Bass, and she was the tax collector of Covington County. And her husband uh, was named Durwood, and he worked for the post office there in Andalusia. And uh, she came down to me, and the first words that she said, I'm so glad you're here. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Well, I'm a sign person. And I literally took that as a sign from the Lord that I was doing what I was supposed to do. And then through my college experience, junior college experience, my dad used to say, Tim, you'll never amount to anything because you're afraid of your own shadow. And I was afraid to get up in front of people. I had a great difficulty in uh, just being in front of people. But anyway, through my junior college experience, um, we were doing a lot of different musicals. We did Finian's Rainbow, uh, Man of La Mancha, uh, HMS Pinafore, and every one of those I had the lead. And in fact, in Man of La Mancha, I played Don Quixote in that. And because of that, Dr. Long came down one night to see me uh, from Troy. And that night he walked up on the stage and he offered me a scholarship to Troy. But I had already had opportunities to go to Sanford and Huntington on scholarships, but nothing as to what Dr. Long offered me. And so I, I ended up taking my uh, the scholarship to Troy. And after I got to Troy, then the pastor from First Baptist Church, Laverne, came. They were looking for somebody to do music and work with their youth. And uh, he came and talked to me, and I ended up leaving Southside Baptist in Andalusia to go to First Baptist Church, uh, Laverne, and that's where I met my wife, Wanda. And uh, we both were in collegiate singers at Troy, and she would ride back and forth with me on Wednesday nights to choir practice. But God just continued to open doors, and through my experience of being in music, he got me up in front of people. And uh, I overcame that fear. And uh, so from then on, like I said, I just allowed God to open the right doors at the right time. And I tried to be obedient and, and do what I felt he was leading me to do. How did you know when you got to Laverne and met Wanda? How and when did you know she was the one? Uh, that's another story. I thought it might be. Um, we were introduced by a mutual friend in Collegiance, and uh, we would buy, ride back and forth with me uh, on Wednesday nights to choir practice and everything. But uh, anyway, her mom and dad took me into the home and would feed me a good meal, 
on Wednesday nights and then also on Sundays and stuff. And uh, our relationship grew. But before we started dating, uh, I asked her, I said, can you be a minister's wife? And I said, I need to know that. And she said, yes. But she also thought that being a minister's wife meant that we would be traveling or going to a different church like every three or four hours because, I mean, day uh, years because of the fact that most of the time ministers don't stay in one location for very long. And uh, But anyway, uh, because she was used to traveling, her dad traveled a lot and they moved in different places because of the jobs and all that he had. So she was used to to moving, but when we came to Ridgecrest, we had no idea that we would be here as long as we have, but we've been very blessed to be able to raise our family in one location and now have our grandchildren around us as well and all in the church with us, so we just can't thank the Lord enough. I know I'm going to leave someone out, but just in, in our brief conversation, your dad, uh, Tom Collins... Uh, Jared Pageant, Margaret Bass, uh, Tom Maddox. Tom Maddox. Do you look back now at the different people that God put in your path and just the what someone else may describe as happenstance conversations, but all the time God is putting those people in your path to get you exactly where he wanted you? Do you think about that sometimes and how amazing that is? Oh, I do. And the fact is there's just so many out of First Baptist Church, Florella, that uh, were such great prayer warriors. Uh, I never really knew, I mean, as a child, how important prayer was and for have people praying for you. That was back during the time when there were strong WMU, Women's Missionary Union organizations and everything within the church. And I learned a lot about Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and all the things that... uh, are significant in uh, Baptist history as far as uh, what we embrace doctrine and everything. And uh, I tell you, but just very, very important people that loved me. I had a Sunday school teacher, I'll never forget, Miss Winnie Shepherd, that uh, if I missed a Sunday, whether I was sick or something else going, she was going to call and find out where I was. And then she would make an appointment to come to my house and teach me that Sunday school lesson that I had missed and would always bring a little treat as well for me or something. And I always look forward to her visits and all, but never really realized how important it was um, as a Sunday school teacher. But yet to have people that would encourage me in my life all, all along the way that prayed for me, genuinely prayed for me, and uh, encouraged me in every way. You mentioned, I think, 264 uh, attendance when you got here uh, to Ridgecrest and thought, my goodness, what a big church, and I don't know if I can do that. I had very similar when when I came to Ridgecrest because the church that I grew up in, uh, 50 on a good, good Sunday. So I, I can relate to that as well, but obviously Ridgecrest has grown a bit since 264. Absolutely. And, and of course, your ministry has as well. And I wonder what you think about when you think of the term music ministry. What do you see as, as your, your goal in, in fulfilling your role here? 
well, God's calling to my life, even though music was the vehicle that God chose for me to serve. Ministry has always been the key. Uh, music, like I said, was just a part of ministry, but ministry was always the most important thing to me. And I love people. I love reaching out to people to try and connect with them. I know everybody has their own personal story about their relationship with the Lord, but I'm very interested to know how to do that. But I find myself also, I see a lot of people that are hurting, and I enjoy having the opportunity to minister to those that are hurting and uh, try and bring some sort of comfort. Uh, in my early time here at Ridgecrest, I was called as music and youth, and that was a very daunting task because of the fact that uh, the youth really demanded more of the time than the music ministry in the early part because I was trying to learn a lot of different people, a lot of different names and things like that. And not only uh, were, was I ministering to the youth, but to the family as a whole and getting to know who those were. But had some wonderful support parents here at Ridgecrest that were very involved with their young people and uh, took advantage of that. Uh, having parents involved with us in whatever we did and uh, it paid great dividends but through the years after giving up uh, the youth when our church got to the point where it no longer was uh, possible for me to do both ministries and everything and that was about 10 years on into the ministry here uh, for me and uh, Jerry Spencer had come on as pastor and uh, so we called like I said a uh, youth minister, uh, Tim Bristow. And uh, so it freed me up, like I said, to do music, but we needed to at that time because the music ministry had grown tremendously. And uh, after five more years, 15 years into the music ministry, it no longer became something that I could handle. Wanda helped me so much because she... Uh, through the first 15 years of ministry here and all. She was right by my side doing a lot of things. Uh, but it became a task, I said, with our children uh, that she needed to spend more time being able to be with them and things like that. And so the opportunity came for us to bring on a music assistant. And Debbie Moore came in and has done a tremendous job through the years in helping us to be able to uh, grow the ministry and to do what we've been able to do today. Who has influenced you musically? Uh, it could be someone in, at the beginning of your ministry. It could be in the middle of your ministry. It could be just recently, uh, just musical influences on you. I'd say early on in life, it had to be uh, Cliff Barris. Uh, I always thought, like I said with the Billy Graham crusade, mm -hmm. I would watch those. In fact, I was able to go to one that was held in Birmingham. And uh, I think it was around 67, 68, something like that. And uh, But anyway, I remember riding a bus up there with uh, other church members and all. and uh, But hearing that huge choir and hearing uh, Cliff Barrows and Ethel Waters and some of the greats like that and saying, wow, you know, that, I mean, I still get chills today when I listen to uh, the old and watch the old videos, like I said, of the Crusades, because uh, 
it was just so exciting and it threw my soul. Um, there's a lot. Mike Harlan, uh, Luke Garrett. Luke's gone on to be with the Lord. But uh, those guys are solid. And, I mean, I, I love to listen to uh, Mike Harlan's a great uh, devotion leader and everything. And, um, I like I said, I admire those guys. Uh, there's there's so many, Lance. It'd be hard to hard to really um, say. Yeah, those are solid. I remember Luke being here. Right. Uh, we we've had him. I know at least once, yeah. maybe more than once. Yeah. I'd, I'll say also say Squire Parsons. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Squire Parsons Jr. He uh, I've had him here several times, but early on in ministry and everything. Uh, I guess our church, Brother Jerry, was more gospel-oriented, so we did a lot of gospel music. We'd have different quartets in and all, but mm -hmm. Squire was so solid, and he took time when he was here. He wanted to sit down with me and talk with me and know me and know about what was going on in my ministry and things like that. So um, he had a great impact, too. 2020 has been just a, a, a crazy year for so many different reasons, and, of course— um, a portion of that uh, we we've had to do without a choir in the first service and I know that had to be a very difficult uh, thing for you but before and soon when we're able to reconstitute that it, it's an amazing thing to think about getting so many different voices and personalities together to form one unit uh, how how have you found that it is best to do that because it just seems like a really interesting thing when you have however many people it may be, 115, 120 people getting all of them to operate as one unit? Well, I always tell them that their commitment is not to me. Their commitment is to the Lord first because I will be replaced one day. And uh, whoever is here and leading them, they need to make sure that uh, the choir and orchestra would have their backing and support uh, in leading, like I said, in worship, because that will be God's man for them. And uh, but I but I think that's it. I said, keeping our eyes all focused upon the Lord and what the Lord's task is for us all and serving him to give up our best. I think of that old hymn to give up our best to the master. And uh, it's just so important, like I said, that we keep our eyes focused upon him and him alone and praying for one another. The, the choir really is a church within itself as far as the size and everything. And they're very uh, conscious about the fact of calling one another, encouraging one another. So it's... Uh, I think that's the best thing that I can say in making everyone feel that they are a part. Uh, some of them may not have the, uh, the best voice uh, as far as trained voice or whatever like that, but they all feel a part because God's brought them to be a part. And uh, so I, I remind them of the fact that uh, anyone can feel your space or your seat but no one can take your place uh, because everybody has their own circle of influence. And it's amazing when people are absent at a rehearsal or practice. And they, I mean, they're missed. And those people around them call them and let them know, hey, where are you? I missed you being there. So 
uh, it's very easy for me if they're willing to do their part too. I'm sure you have just volumes and volumes of music that comes across your desk from so many different sources. What guides you when you think about this Sunday, this is going to be what what we what we sing? Uh, are there things that you're looking for specifically? Well, it's very interesting because through the years, things have changed. Brother Mike and I used to get together on Monday mornings, and he would kind of line out. He knew what he was going to be preaching and speaking on and on. So I would try and, uh, if there were certain themes, we would try and I'll pick out hymns basically because all we sang out of was the hymnal. Mm-hmm. Now, choruses and things like that, I've swung the pendulum so far classically trained. <laughs> then to come where we are today, mm-hmm. it's been quite interesting and all to watch as music has changed. But the music has to say something, Lance. The text has got to have a meaning. When a person comes up to me and says, Brother Tim, that song was a sermon in itself. Well, I know that I've done what I'm supposed to do because whether the word is spoken or not, the music needs to leave the people with the plan of salvation and uh, to point people to Christ. And so I think in selecting music and all, yes, uh, songs of praise and worship are good because we're to worship him with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but all of those things are different in what we're supposed to do and how we are to approach the throne of God and uh, how we are to learn from them. Uh, God, we know, inhabits the praises of his people, so... Uh, we try and invite, like I said, and allow, like I said, the Spirit to work, knowing that it's important, like I said, that the, the Spirit come and indwell us. But yet at the same time, for people that are sitting in that congregation, they can't praise the Lord if they don't know who the Lord is. So unless we do a hymn that says, like, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? You washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've got to prick their hearts so uh, the Spirit of God can enter in and speak to them and convict, uh, bring us to repentance, and uh, help us, like I said, to, to know that we know who the Lord is and form that personal relationship with Him. I know the key to serving Christ, no matter whether you're in vocational ministry or just out uh, in the private world, is to eliminate self. I think that's taught throughout Scripture. But I wonder, for you personally, what takes you to the throne in worship? Is there a, is there a song that, that y'all do or something similar that when it's that time to to sing it and and have it as part of the service is there something that you look particularly forward to singing there are song favorites of course i mean i can tell in rehearsal uh when the choir has received a song uh something like uh, the anthem thou O lord yeah most of the time it uh, this seems to be the most uh those songs are scripture songs though and they relate directly to the Word of God. But that seems to be a high mark, and the choir picks up on it. I mean, and there becomes, like I said, in the rehearsals, we worship. Whether we're, I mean, people say, are you going to choir practice? No, we're really going to worship and all. And that's exactly what happens. But you almost can sense the presence of the Lord coming in to the place whenever we sing. Uh, And it's... Uh, just an amazing thing. It's just an amazing thing. 
And uh, so, uh, you know, the songs have to speak, you know. And uh, I know your goal is to see that translate to the congregation every Sunday morning. And I suppose there are some Sunday mornings where you pick up on that maybe more than others. I would think that would have to be especially gratifying, not not because you have done anything, but to see what you have prepared and what you have practiced, to see that translate into the congregation responding and, and worshiping. I would think that would have to be just a great feeling. It is a great feeling, Lance. But, you know, it's very interesting. Lots of times, like pastors, I know Brother Ray said it time and time again when he would say it to me, he'd say, you know, boy, I just feel like my message just wasn't getting through. And I would say the same thing about the music sometimes. No, I feel, but then I get a note during the week that said, Brother Tim, thank you so much for the message and song this week. It really spoke to my heart and was just what I needed. So, it's not about us. God reminds me, it is not about you. <laughs> it's all about me. And you just do what I'm telling you to do. And, uh, you know, you mentioned 39 years here. Um, and, and you mentioned things that, that we used to do that we don't do as much and things changing. Uh, Chris Tomlin wasn't born no. when, when, when you got here. And I know we do a lot of his, his stuff, but I'm sure there are pros and cons to everything. But when you look at how much uh, music has changed. What do you draw from that? Maybe good and maybe not so good. Well, there you definitely, like I said, when I sit down and listen, like you said, to oh, countless hundreds of pieces of music, you know, during the week or whatever like that, and just trying to see what will speak or what we feel that God would use in order to speak uh, through. And uh, the text has to be there. A lot of the stuff coming on the radios now, the tune is good, but uh, lots of times it may be something that you could hear in a nightclub just as well as you could hear in a church. And so I have to be very protective of the fact that the message has got to be there. And uh, so we're not going to share anything that wars against my spirit. And I'm the I'm the, the one that will stand before the Lord and give an account of that. And so I, I if I if there's something in my spirit that I have a check about, then I'm not going to bring it before the congregation. And lots of times there's a pressure applied in saying, Brother Tim, why don't we do this song? Because it sounds so good, you know, or like that. And I just tell them, I can't do that song. God hadn't impressed upon my heart that that's something that we need to be sharing. And uh, so anyway, I, I asked for people for prayer, but just to trust me in the fact and trying to do and so far like i said we, that's it's few and far between that i've gotten some kickback in that way indeed so. i'm sure uh, when when you do decide that whatever god has for you next and you get into the next stage what what do you hope uh people at ridgecrest remember you for uh i pray that they would continue to recognize that i was one that tried to be a servant of the lord my a spiritual gift, if anything, I feel has always been service. And uh, I just really enjoy serving the people and loving the people. And I hope they will remember the fact that I love them and that uh, I try to lead them to the throne of, of grace uh, every time I was before them. And uh, don't feel that, uh, don't have an ego to think that I was the best or that I did it, you know, 
correctly all the time, but I try to do the very best I could. It's a good uh, good thought to end on, Tim Willis. Thank you for being our guest uh, on Ridgecrest Stories. Thank you, Lance. Yeah.